everyone, welcome to the Pricing Queen podcast. I'm your host, Sally Farrant. I'm here to help you with all things pricing and business numbers, and I help small businesses like yours to grow your business and put your prices up and have the business of your dreams. If you want to follow me on social media, the best place to find me is on Instagram at The Pricing Queen. And now, on with the show. Welcome to today's show. On today's show, I've got Rosie Gilderthorpe. So Rosie is a psychotherapist and she and I work together uh, through her psychology business school. And it's a fascinating insight into how to price yourself. And it's relevant to all small business owners, really, I think, even if you are not a psychotherapist. And I think it's really important to think about how this might apply to you. Hello and welcome to today's show. Today I've got Rosie Gilderthorpe on the podcast. Hi Rosie, introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Hi Sally, it's lovely to be here. So I'm Rosie Gilderthorpe, I'm a clinical psychologist um, and I kind of split my time between two parts of the same business. So on the one hand, I run a quite busy perinatal mental health practice where I see clients um, for therapy and I do some kind of online courses with that as well. And on the other side of things, I have Psychology Business School, where I teach other psychologists and therapists about setting up and ethically and effectively marketing yourself in the business world. Um, so that's me. And I should say, actually, because it might be relevant later, that my business is a social enterprise, which means that the profit that I make gets reinvested into helping people who can't normally access my services. But I'm sure we're going to talk more about yeah. how that model works. Yeah, and <laughs> I think sure. we might we can we can start there. And I think you know, social enterprise. We talk a lot. You know, I I'm, I come and talk in Rosie's membership, and we talk a lot with them about kind of how you give back. You know, part of part of being a psychologist often is that you want to give back more. And I think it's true of lots and lots of industries. And it's kind of going well. How can I set myself up? Because otherwise, you end up giving away for free loads of sessions. So how do I stop? that and um, social enterprise is one way to do that explain a little bit about what a social enterprise actually means for people yeah absolutely because you're right this comes up every time you come and talk to us in psychology business school this question comes up doesn't it how on earth can i help people that can't afford to pay for my services and obviously it becomes really tricky so setting yourself up as a formal social enterprise is one way of dealing with that topic and really, I think people get very hung up with what a social enterprise is and isn't. But essentially, if you use some of your profit or all of your profit to help people who can't afford to pay for your services, you are a social enterprise. You could do that whether you're a sole trader or a limited company or whether you have a formal structure like mine, which is a community interest company or a CIC. Basically, the difference with the formal social enterprise structures is just that you have told the government that that's what you're going to do with your profit. So you are asset locked. That means that you can't pay yourself a dividend. You can't kind of keep that profit for yourself. Um, and you don't get anything when you sell the company either. 
So there's nothing to sell. If my business becomes a five million pound social enterprise, <laughs> um, I won't ever be able to sell it. I'll only be able to hand it over to somebody else to take over the reins. Um, so there are a few other kind of legal things, but otherwise it functions very much like a limited company, um, apart from you have that lock on the assets. But you presumably can still pay yourself a reasonable salary and all Absolutely. of those things. You might not be able to pay it as dividends, but you can pay yourself as a, as a, a salary and, and all of those things. Absolutely. So in that way, um, you know, according to some people, it's less tax economical because you can't do what you might do in a limited company where some people may pay themselves a very low um, salary and then top it up with dividends. You can't do that. You just have to decide what's my salary. That's what I'm going to pay myself. But for me, that's been really good mental health wise, I've got to say, because I like to know what I'm going to earn every month. I kind of couldn't handle the freelancer boom and bust thing. And I now don't have that. Every month I earn the same thing. I'm happy with that thing. And every year I decide whether I'm going to give myself a pay rise or not. So, yeah, nice and straightforward. And and then how do you decide? So one of the big challenges is how do you decide what you're going to, how you're going to distribute those profits? How do you decide that people can't afford you? You know, it's all very well somebody saying, I can't afford your service. I can't afford to pay you for for, for this thing. But actually, the reality is that that's about often about, it can be about priorities. And how do you actually find the people and link up with people that actually really need it and you're not deciding because remember about money story and putting your own money story on other people how do you make sure that people aren't just taking you for a ride and that you're getting to the people that actually desperately need your help you see i think this is a really key ethical point actually uh, because a lot of people can feel well a lot of psychologists and therapists often feel that it's doing the right thing to offer people free sessions or very low cost sessions and they feel quite bad about having boundaries around that and I know I've been there and in the first couple of years of my practice I think probably when you first met me actually Sally I was still doing that a lot but the thing is when you do that you're putting a value judgment on somebody else a lot of the time you're saying you know I know whether you can afford me or not Um, and like you said how do you know that are you using the same criteria every time? Does the person who asked you on Friday get the same response that the person asked you on Monday got? And the answer is no, because you'll have given away your free spots. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it all becomes a little bit unethical, I think, uh, to proceed in that way. So the way that I do it is... Um, is I develop a relationship with a bigger organisation who can do that vetting for me because it's already part of their process. So I, you know, well, you know this about me, your listeners won't, but I'm a military spouse. So I've moved around. My practice has been in four different locations. Um, I can't believe that for four different locations in just over five years. Um, (laughs) um, So every time I move, basically, I make a a link with some some organisation that can do that vetting for me, usually a local charity. Um, Sometimes local GP practices uh, can do that. It depends on their kind of arrangement and how they're set up to deal with private healthcare effectively. Uh, But I will find someone bigger than me who does that vetting 
existing already rather than me making that decision. And I think that's very important. Another way of doing it, um, because all of that is assuming that you want to offer pro bono sessions within your private practice. But another way of doing it that I really like and a lot of my students get on very well with is to just say, okay, I'm going to give half a day a week to a charity and do whatever that charity wants. Um, because there's a lot of charities out there who are desperate for qualified psychologists or qualified therapists. They can't afford to pay for them. Um, and so half a day of your time, whether that is offering supervision or therapy sessions for them directly, can be super, super valuable to them. And it's a way of, of donating without having to you know, worry about the faff of how do I make this work within my business. Yeah. And I think it's just being really deliberate that actually you say, right, it's a half a day a week. That's what I do. And that's fine. That's it. I don't give away other free sessions. This is the thing that I do. And I don't give away other stuff. And I think the other thing that's that's tempting to do is to give away, like people get to six sessions and then they're like, they need a couple more or, and it, you know, you'll give and those become free because you're not really charging properly for those. But I know, again, we've talked about the fact that actually one of the things you have to think about, particularly as a therapist or working in these sorts of environments, it's quite stressful dealing with a, a patient client you know, it's really hard work. And actually, if you're trying to see too many clients in a day, you're not giving the right sort of level of care to those patients that you would if you could see less by charging more. A hundred percent. And I think if you're if you're giving away free sessions without really thinking about it, without thinking through kind of, oh, OK, how many hours am I going to have in my week to do this? then you will end up in that position where you're giving a substandard service. And again, I think that's an ethical question. I don't think it's it's well, it's never the right thing to do. Um, but I think we do sleepwalk into that position quite often. I certainly used to. So I'd really advocate if you want to have some pro bono work um, or operate as a social enterprise formally or informally, you need a formal process that you force yourself to follow every time you're thinking about doing something for free. Mm-hmm. You have to think of it as a project that requires funding. How much money have you got sitting in your business that you can use to fund that project Um, and that's where you draw your boundaries so you know for the moment I've been on maternity leave for ages now (laughs) six months (laughs) Um, and when I come back into my practice and I start offering some pro bono work again I will look at how much money there is in my account in the bit that is kind of siphoned off for this and I will decide how many sessions I can offer a week based on that and that isn't what my heart wants to do. Of course it's not. And it's not what my inner critic wants to do. That little person that sits on my shoulder telling me I'm awful. Um, both of those things want me to offer far more than that pot of money is going to allow me to. But I have learned the hard way that that doesn't serve anybody very well. So I'll be using my spreadsheets and that's how my boundaries will be drawn. And if I can get grant funding to expand that Brilliant, but I will never compromise on paying myself for my time, which is what I see a lot in my students. And I think we see it, it's not just in your students, just everywhere. It's kind of the person that gets paid last is you. It's like you need to set your business up so that you get your pay yourself paid first or that you've thought about how you're going to pay yourself what you need to because this is a business not a hobby and it's an expensive hobby if you're not paying yourself enough and it's also extremely exhausting it's like well you might as well go and get a job yeah and I think that 
The thing with therapeutic work in particular is that when you feel stressed about money or when you feel like you're not well compensated for what you're doing, you become resentful. And we get used to that because a lot of mental health professionals working in the NHS or other parts of the public sector are really undervalued and underpaid and they feel resentful a lot of the time. I know I certainly used to sometimes, um, you know, that's got got worse too. Yeah, exactly. The, The pressures of the pandemic and the kind of spike in need for mental health services means that a lot of people have kind of got in, got used to going into work feeling undervalued. And the problem is that comes out in your therapy work. It comes out in, you know, the clients that you get stuck with and you can't quite figure out why you're stuck and why you're not progressing. Um, that kind of feeling of failing as a therapist. <laughs> um, to me, it's all linked to feeling insecure in my business and like, you know, I'm not going to be able to pay my childcare at the end of the month. I really noticed, and you sort of watched me on this journey, really, because um, we were in a coaching program together. But I really noticed when I got my pricing sorted and I um felt more secure in my business that I also felt a lot more confident about my therapeutic work. And I know that I was more present and more um, available to my clients because of that. And what made you decide that you could just, you could put your prices up to be, I mean, I know you, you know, at the, certainly, I know you're not doing any at the moment, but like you're quite, you would be considered quite expensive yeah. um, in the, in this world. And how did you kind of get over yourself and go, right, I've just got to charge that and, that, and just be done with it? Uh, so there's two things, really. I think firstly, it was talking to you and figuring out what the running costs of my practice really were. I think a lot of us don't know that we have very expensive practices. Um, I think because there's a lot of small costs that add up. Um, and there's some big insurances and some, you know, there's yeah. some quite big things that you have to do. And all the continuous development and all of that sort of thing costs money and you've got to keep up some of that and it's making sure you're spending on the right things too yeah and you don't always predict that I never would have predicted the amount of CPD work I would want to do and feel that I need to do to offer my clients a a good quality service if you've been employed for a long time there's a lot of that that you just take for granted. We we usually, we had a lot of staff development in the NHS and you also have your colleagues around you and they might have come back off some training and they feed that back to you. So you're always learning stuff. But when you're in private practice, you take responsibility for all of that and it costs shed loads. Oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely something that I'd hugely underestimated. Um, so I think firstly, it was working out all of those costs, getting them written out and seeing what I needed to charge in order to pay myself a decent salary. Um, and for me, I was quite lucky in a way because I knew exactly what I needed to earn. When I came into my business, I'd already figured out, okay, this is what my family requires from me. Um, because for me, I, I I left the NHS because I had to, not because I wanted to. Um, because my husband being in the forces, he was away a lot. My uh, my middle child was not very well as a baby. So it was not a case of we were financially comfortable, so it was okay for me to leave. 
it was very much my family requires my wage. <laughs> um, and we needed exactly what I was earning in the NHS, but I just couldn't make that work anymore. So I was like, right, the first thing I've got to do is pay myself my NHS salary. Very simple in a lot of ways. Um, so calculating, and I used your calculator for it, <laughs> um, calculating what I needed to pay myself wasn't that tricky once I knew all of, all of the costs of my practice. What was quite tricky, though, was giving myself permission <laughs> to charge that much. Um, and I think the way that I got over myself and allowed myself to do that was thinking very clearly about what my mission was and who I wanted to help. And then recognizing that they fell into two categories. There was the category of people that could pay my quite expensive fee. And there was the category of people who could not afford to pay for any private sessions. And I think it was recognizing that there wasn't much of a gray area in between, that actually it didn't matter whether I was charging £75 an hour or £130 an hour, because if you couldn't afford 75 you, you well, if you couldn't afford 130 you also couldn't afford 75 Um And so I, I, it was that realisation that made me realise I needed to set up a formal process for helping people who were right at that bottom end. And part of that was kind of unapologetically marketing to the people at the top end. Because that's how you, you know, by making more money from those people that can afford it, you can then help more people uh, who can't. And it feels a bit weird to do that, but it's like, but it's like all these things, you know, if you earn more, you pay more taxes, you help in the NHS, you're helping, you know, people who generally in society need help in that, in a much bigger sense, but in a smaller sense, it's like, well, actually, if I, charge more over here I can do more good over here and you're right I think you know unless you charge like 30 quid an hour actually those people you know it's already too much because of course with therapy as well it's not a one and done thing you know you're not going to spend 130 quid and then that's it you're going to have to you know you're probably going to have to come for seven eight ten twelve whatever it is sessions uh, that was one of the things you said actually that really helped me it was thinking about what the overall investment is and recognizing that it's huge Mm. So, you know, 75 times 12, I'm rubbish at maths, but that is a big number. Mm. Um, and, and 130 times 12 is bigger. But actually, if you can afford one, you can probably afford the other one. Um, whereas I think what a lot of psychologists and therapists do is, is sort of pitch themselves in the middle somewhere. Um, you know, a lot of people that I talk to are charging around that kind of £80 an hour Um mark and that serves nobody because they're not making enough money typically to have the practice that they want to have maybe they don't have any time for cpd maybe they're not don't have enough time to go to the toilet in the day or have their lunch and so they're not being the therapist that they want to be they're having to work too many hours they're usually working into the evening missing time that they wanted to spend with their families or do other things and feeling resentful about that And there's still a massive group of people who are like, oh, that's too expensive for me and can't access them. So it just, it's like everybody's losing Mm -hmm. in that setup. Whereas I think if you can offer some genuinely very low cost work, whether that is, as I said, through a charity or you do it yourself, um, but you charge at the premium end, 
for people uh, who can afford to pay it, then I think you can help both groups just in different ways. Mm. And uh, yeah, and would you say that like niching has helped as well? Because I know you're a specialist. And do you think that that kind of that has that helps with pricing, too, because you are the person to come to? Yes. And I wanted to I made notes. I wanted to mention this because in our industry, there has been a rise in these networks of uh, therapists and you'll probably see them advertised on you know Facebook and places like that there's one in particular that rhymes with smetta smelt (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) that you'll see constantly on Facebook ads and you can't compete with that if you're in private practice you can't compete with services that are giving people therapy for like 20 quid you can't possibly you will go out of business extremely quickly like the fiver of the psychotherapist yeah it is and I think in a similar way often the quality is not there um because it can't be of course it's not there um because of the business model and yeah i could rant about that i'm not going to because <laughs> besmirching their name and that's not not on um but there are big limitations to what is being offered by some of those online networks at the same time we've got insurance companies who used to provide a lot of referrals to private practice therapists kind of teaming up with these big networks and and choosing to use them rather than us to provide therapy to their clients. So I think a lot of people get sucked into thinking they need to compete on price with these kind of big generic networks. Well, actually, you can't do that. It's not going to work. You can never charge what they charge. Um, and you want to, typically, you want to offer a service which is more bespoke and is more tailored to the needs of your clients. So in order to do that, I I think it's very important that you pick a specialism and make sure that people know that they should come to you, not one of these generic networks of therapists, in order to get help with their specific problem. So for me, my specialism is pregnancy and, you know, particularly preparing for birth when you've already had one traumatic experience. And, you know, the referrals I get, they don't want to go to one of these generic um, networks because they want to come to somebody who is totally absorbed and interested in helping people exactly like them. Mm. And so pricing very rarely comes up. You know, occasionally somebody will get in touch and I'll tell them my fees and they'll be like sick. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That does happen sometimes. Um, But then I've got places I can signpost them to and other offers um, which I can make to them. But most of the time, people are very happy um, with a higher fee because they know that it's going to be tailored to exactly what they want. And they know that I'm making time to know the latest stuff um, in this particular field. Whereas when I was more generic, I was, you know, having to read articles like right before I saw somebody, I was like panic reading all the time. Um, And I was having to try and book myself on weekend CPD courses to like bone up on particular things I hadn't looked at since training. I'm not sure that that gave people a particularly good service. I hope it was okay, but I don't think it was. I'm sure it was fine, but yeah, it's not. And I think that's the whole thing about pricing. It's like, if I want a birth trauma expert, I'm going to Rosie. Right. And if I've got something, if I don't, if I'm terrified of water, I get someone else. Yeah. There's a whole 
you know, you don't want to go to somebody who's like, well, I can deal with both those things. You're like, well, hang on a minute, they're very different and they've probably got the you know different ways of dealing with it. So it's really, and I think then you're right, then price becomes a totally unimportant thing and also becomes very difficult for you to be compared with other people. I think that's the other thing, you know, part of niching and specialising is that then it's much more difficult for people to go, well, I can get them cheaper over there. Because actually, like you said, the online networks might be cheap, but they're not specialists. Mm. And actually, once people realise they need a specialist, it's like, oh, and part of your job is to communicate that that's that's a thing. You know, I might go, well, well I need a psychotherapist because I'm very anxious about something or I had a terrible, but but I might go, well, I'll go to just I'll go to one of these online networks. And part of your marketing is to go, no, no, no. If you've got a specific problem, you need to come and talk to me. Mm. And also, I think in in psychology and therapy work, your personality is really key because not even the best therapist in the world isn't the best therapist for everybody. It's all about goodness of fit. And so in your marketing, you need to show your personality. You need to show what it's actually like to be in a room with you. And if you can do that, then again, the fee becomes irrelevant because you're the only one of you. Yeah. And I think that's true in so many small businesses. You know, it's definitely true in there. But also that that thing of actually people are buying you. There are millions of accountants out there. There are loads of psychotherapists. It's like, why are people, you've got to give people enough to say, right, well, actually, I'm going to buy from Sally or I'm going to buy from Rosie and not from Joe Blogs Up The Road. What makes people? People buy people in the end. And that's that really matters in therapy, but it does matter in all small businesses, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? So if you're a psychologist or therapist and you're getting set up in private practice or you feel like you want to grow and expand and get ready to scale up your practice, then come and check me out at psychologybusinessschool.com or over on my podcast, The Business of Psychology. Uh, We've actually got a checklist to help you get up and running. So if you're right at that beginning stage, then do come and have a look at psychologybusinessschool.com forward slash client hyphen checklist. And we've got everything that you need there to get up and running um yeah i think those are the main places for psychologists and therapists to find me if you happen to be listening to this and you are struggling in pregnancy or you've had a difficult birth then come and find me at drrosie.co.uk because that's where my therapy practice lives and we'll put all of that in the show notes so people can find you properly afterwards thank you so much it's been brilliant to have you on thank you for having me It's great to chat to Rosie about pricing issues and how you might give away your time for free in a more structured way in your business. If you have not yet done my pricing calculator, which we talked about in the conversation, where have you been? Um, go ahead and go to thepricingqueen.com forward slash calculator, and that will take you to my pricing calculator and you can work out how much you need to be charging by the hour. And I think sometimes it can be really shocking to see how that is. And I will see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you did, please do like, subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts and do share this episode on social media. The best place to find me is on Instagram at Pricing Queen. And I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will see you next week. Take care.